Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that wasteland. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody and welcome back to random troy radio episode 405 hopefully this one is a little bit smoother than the other 405 we know we're coming to you on wednesday april 7th talking about the latest in usc football news there is a bunch of it and observations from the beginning of spring camp we're also going to look back at USC basketball's run to the Elite Eight and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google, Omni, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. You can also find our bonus episodes on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Troy at fansider.com and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Suck at what's Bruin show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back to talk about... Wait a minute. That hello was like our, our friend Keely. It was a little bit... As it was coming out, I thought... This is the wrong tone. That was this a Keely hello. It, there's there's the the Ryan hello, which is hello. There's there's yeah. that, and then there's the the Keely hello, which is hello. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It was a little bit like that. Maybe I'm just trying to yeah. uh, to honor a a fellow USC podcast uh, uh, person. I don't even remember what my hello is. It's been that long since we did a podcast. Yeah, I don't. Even, I could. You're the impressions guy, so not on me. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. But either way, hello, welcome back to Rent of Troy Radio. Uh, we're back. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, it's been since before the NCAA tournament. Um, that whole thing went down. USC went to the Elite Eight. Craziness uh, went down uh, in basketball, but football is back. Uh, spring camp has begun. There's plenty of things for us to talk about. We were at the Coliseum on Tuesday to look at USC in pads in the Coliseum, which is always great to get back to and i'm excited about this episode since there's uh, so much to discuss yeah i mean it's spring camp football's back people in in pads hitting each other on a field at the coliseum y- you know what's weird it feels like we should think that the football season was so recent considering that the football season was so late even though you know sc's last game was in the you know the in in december and it, it wasn't uh, they didn't play a January bowl or whatever, so it's not like this layoff has been shorter. 
But in some ways, it feels like it's been forever since USC played football. Well, in some ways, it feels like just yesterday. Consi- I keep going back and forth. Well, consider it has been a long off season. USC finished their season in December, which usually... Spring camp is later. Spring camp is a month later than it normally would, would have started. It usually right. starts either the last sort of few days of February or the, the very first beginning week of, of March. So, yeah, we're a few weeks out. From when we normally would would have USC back in in the swing of things in in camp, but you know, I, at this point, I'm just really glad that we're able to have a camp that we're able to have a camp where you where USC is allowing media to come in uh, and view practice, even if it's a, a little bit different than it than it has been in the past. Like it's still drastically changed from what was available to us uh, last year. So uh, it's it's just nice to see USC being able to. To go out and and get out on the field and have it be semi obviously it's a couple weeks late but like it's semi normal it's it's significantly more normal than it was last year so we're we're slowly 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 but surely uh, getting back to uh, to normalcy which is just very nice yeah I would expect that this fall to be um, as close to normal as possible I would hope well I, I know the season I know that I think Gavin Newsom the governor of California just said that the they expect the state to be fully open by June and Los Angeles is already you know swinging its way down in the uh in the the color chart of uh, uh you know we get Indoor dining is is opening yeah. back up, so you and I both got our first shots of uh, the vaccine. Yeah, so hashtag yeah. Team Pfizer, baby. <laughs> team Pfizer, uh, the, yeah, the vaccine rollout is going very well, and we, you know, uh, I hope everyone out there is is uh, working to to get one. Um, it's uh, just the kind of thing that'll allow us all to go back to restaurants and go back to movie theaters and go back to football games. I am very looking forward to the Coliseum being full. Uh, well, or as full as it's going to be in the coming fall. So let's just all, you know, do this together and uh, and and get back to where where we all want to be. Was that an attendance burn? It was because, like, uh, I, I d- okay. Do we think that the Coliseum is going to have full capacity for this coming season? No, but no. I, I think the interesting thing is, I w- I'd be curious about the first game back. I wonder what things are going to be like when things open up completely for the first time. And I know that we're doing it, you know, in a, a very slow uh, unveiling of everything, right? A slow open of restaurants at 25% capacity, and they'll just keep get, getting on from there. So it won't be a mad rush. Uh, like, say, the UK, for instance, which is going to have everything open on, was it, June 21st? Like, can you imagine how crazy bars are going to be there? Yeah, that like, first day. Insane, right? <laughs> I would, if, if that was the case here, you could not find me at a bar on that day. No, no. Not remotely. I, uh-uh. I might wait a week to go to a bar because uh-uh. it would just be so insane, so crowded. Not my scene. No. Uh, I don't want to go anywhere where it's overly crowded. Not because of COVID, but because... I wouldn't be going to crowded, crowded bars. places <laughs> suck in general anyways. Yes. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of sports venues are going to be super packed once people have that opportunity is that going to translate to USC football? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know that San Jose State is going to get the blood flowing uh, to get a complete sellout. Um, you know, come September, and and based on everything from from where USC fans look at this program, I don't know. But uh, it will be interesting nonetheless, and it will be great to have people back at the Coliseum. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then get into talking about. The Trojans and spring camp. And uh, Alicia's been to two practices. I've been one so far. We're going to put together our observations 
and uh, talk it out here on this episode of Ready for Ready. Alicia, you were at practice on Saturday at Howard Jones Field, even though the media outlook is from the swim stadium that I cannot pronounce, uh, formerly the site of the McDonald's Swim Stadium. Uh, And then Tuesday, you and I had gone to the Coliseum to look at practice. Uh, The Trojans in full pads at the Coliseum for the first time since the Pac-12 championship game in December. Any type of first uh, thoughts that you had from uh, seeing the Trojans out there? Yeah, it was just good to to be back, you know, back on campus, uh, back uh, at at Howard Jones Field, Brian Kelly, Kennedy Field. Um, it's definitely not Brian Kelly Field. Brian, no, definitely not Brian Kelly. It's Brian Kennedy. Uh, to to just be back in the sun, even though I forgot sunscreen, and uh, and just you know, being able to hear the sights and sounds of uh, of, of camp. And you know, I I wasn't able to go on on Tuesday, and the Thursday practices are not open to the media. So my first foray into this was full pads, full contact, which is very sweet to see from a USC perspective. And, you know, one thing that I think USC fans have been asking for from this current regime is to just, you know, practice harder. And I think that that's what they seem to be doing. And there were uh, there was talk of that last year with Todd Orlando sort of bringing in a whole, you know, if we're practicing outside of pads, what's the whole point? Uh, kind of mentality, but we didn't get to see it in action. So now we're seeing what practice looks like with uh, with Todd Orlando in there, and it was a lot of fun. You know, they did like a modified Oklahoma drill that I think they're calling the Trojan drill, and they had you know music blaring, and they were doing full contact, they were hitting, they were just being physical, which is it's just great to see. So like that was my big takeaway from um, from practice is is that. In terms of the energy level that you'd wanted to practice, I think Saturday definitely hit the mark. I don't know it, what your impression was on Tuesday. I thought it was a little bit more, um, a little bit more muted. But I don't know if that was because, uh, you know, the 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 Coliseum setting or or anything like that. But you might have thoughts there too. Yeah, I obviously can't compare it to Saturday, but I, th- I thought it was a lively practice. It looked like a practice. You know what I mean? Like it it fit the mold of what a USC practice looks like. Um, for, for the most part, SC was in pads as, as we talked about, uh, they, they played some 11 on 11. We saw some newcomers. We saw some, some veterans. We saw everything kind of come together and, uh, really allow us to have some interesting observations. Um, obviously the big news coming out of Tuesday's practice was Max Williams tearing his ACL, uh, that happened really early on in the 11 on 11 period. Uh, he was running with the first team defense uh, he went down, looked to not be favoring his uh, his left leg as he was carried off. At the moment, I thought it looked serious, but I, I didn't really think about it afterwards until Wednesday morning when it comes out that um, it's a torn ACL. What was your uh, thought about that? Yeah, I'm with you. I kind of just thought it would probably be something like a, an ankle or maybe like a, an MCL or something like that. Like, I, it never even crossed my mind that it was a, an ACL until his dad posted on Twitter and like that's just a huge bummer because i have i he's one of the players on defense that i'm really excited about who i think could you know could have a really nice ceiling for usc at that nickel spot like i know usc has greg johnson coming back and he himself is is coming back from a an injury but like i always looked at max williams as as 
an exciting player at that position, like someone that I really just wanted to see get a full run of games and see what he could become. And it just really sucks, especially because he had an ACL in, in high school. Took him a while to recover from that. Like, just a huge, huge bummer uh, for for a player that I, I had a lot of hopes for. Uh, I think it's um, potential. Like, it's the kind of blow that USC might not even, you know, you might not notice it just because it happens so early and you're going to have to now deal with, well, who's going to come in? But, like, we won't know what kind of impact Max Williams might have had in 2021. And that's just... You know, that's unfortunate. And, and part of me, and I have no way to prove this, but part of me suspects that it could ultimately be like a big deal that we just don't even have the ability or capability to, to recognize when all is said and done. So now USC has to really hope that Greg Johnson is able to get back fully healthy and stay healthy, which he hasn't been able to do at any point in his USC career. He's always missed games because of injury. And behind him, they got to find someone else who can be just as reliable as Max Williams. And I mean, I guess the the, the positive news, the silver lining that I, I talked about on Twitter today was, uh, well, I'm a big fan of Britton Allen. And I think Britton Allen is the obvious guy now to come in and compete for that backup spot behind Greg Johnson. And, and Britton Allen's a player that I really like. So hopefully this is an opportunity that he's able to grab hold of. Yeah, it, it doesn't help that this is the offseason which SC has to play. A replaced Talano Hufanga, uh, someone and was, Elijah Griffin. Yeah, two guys who were were great in that uh, in that secondary. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together. I think that Greg Johnson, like you mentioned, uh, obviously the guy that you would expect to uh, be the front runner to make up for any lost time with with Max Williams. But this was going to be the year that I think both of us thought that Max Williams would really cement himself as the starter there um, at, at Nickelback. Moving forward, um, I want to talk about the other observations. Uh, sticking with the secondary, Joshua Jackson, uh, out of Narbonne, two-time CIF state champion. I didn't know if you knew that. Uh, just making sure. Uh, has moved over from wide receiver to defensive back. He's wearing the number six, the same number that uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart is wearing, which makes it really difficult to practice to tell the two apart. So, so the only way is one's wearing sleeves and one isn't, but both of them have uh, have made plays early on in in spring camp, which is a good sign when USC uh, is not with Chris Steele right now. Chris Steele was not at practice, um, and has to replace Elijah Griffin, like we mentioned. Yeah, the hi. No, <laughs> okay, I I really need USC to solve the six problem ASAP. Like it is, it is not fun. To, to be covering a practice where two players at the same position, uh, both getting first team, reps both getting at one first point. team reps at some point. Yeah, like that. That it's not like one is a like the first team and one you only see him on like the third team. Like no, like if a number six out there is out there, it could be any number of of sort of rep situations. And like their their body type is just similar enough. Like they're both kind of tall and. It's it's hard. The only way to tell them apart literally was that what were the two differentiating things? Because Isaac Taylor Stewart has uh, has some, some short dreads, braids, but they're just short enough that you can't quite immediately clock them out of his uh, out of his uh, helmet. So like Isaac Taylor Stewart on Tuesday was wearing gray long sleeves. And that was like the saving grace, because if I saw sleeves, I knew it was ITS. And if I saw no sleeves, I knew it was uh Josh Jackson, but like, it's it's what the S stands for in ITS. Sleeves. Yeah. Well, sleeves. Uh, apparently, either way, someone 
just get, get him a new number. Get him a new number. Come on, come on, get him a new number. But in any case, uh, it's nice to see both number sixes out there being difficult to differentiate from a playing perspective, right? Like, you can't necessarily know immediately by the level of play that Josh Jackson isn't Isaac Taylor Stewart. And that speaks extremely well to Jackson, who just converted over from wide receiver and is taking to the new position like a fish to water. Um, ITS has had a good start to camp so far, and he looked quite good again on uh, on Tuesday. But Josh Jackson also looks good in that role. So uh, it, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's very annoying to have the sixes. On the other hand, like what a transformation Josh Jackson has undergone in order to pick up this new responsibility and just fit right in. You wouldn't know that he was a, a wide receiver before this camp. Are you saying he's the new Marcel Almond? Sure. You don't get that reference? I don't get that reference. Uh, Marcel Allman and Kareem Kelly both came up as as wide receivers. Uh huh. Oh, and then, and then Allman switched. Allman moved okay. over to defense. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I, I thought uh, he looked good, good. Both those guys, Jackson and ITS, both looked good. Uh, Britton Allen looked good uh, in the secondary, as we mentioned before. Uh, Br- one quick note on Britton Allen. Britton Allen on Saturday had the hit of the day, where he absolutely just destroyed a receiver. I think it was Katie Nixon over the middle. And then on Tuesday, almost immediately after uh, Max Williams came out, Britton Allen had a really nice pass breakup. So, um, again, Britton Allen is a guy that, I, that I've that i liked since he was a, a freshman, first came in and really impressed me when they had him tried out at corner, moved him to safety, kind of lost him in the shuffle at safety, and now at Nickelback, I think uh, I think USC is, is finding some guys in that secondary. But should be noted that secondary is extremely thin right now, extremely. Right. Because Isaiah Pulamau and Chris Steele have been missing. Isaiah Pulamau was back on Tuesday, but he had missed the first three practices. Um, there are some suspected COVID cases going on there to account for some guys missing. Some guys are injured. Some guys might have class uh, uh, conflicts or, or sort of other things that get in the way of them turning up to practice. So sort of shaking that all out. We'll see as, as camp goes on. But uh, the the depth at DB is not good, especially with Greg Johnson sitting out camp because he's rehabbing, um, replacing Hafanga and Griffin, all those guys. So there are a lot of opportunities for younger DBs to come in and make a name for themselves. And so far, you know, Jaden Williams has looked good. Yeah. Josh Jackson has looked good. Isaac Taylor Stewart's looked good. All those guys. Yeah. And I really thought it, it really showed in the, the one-on-one period with the quarterbacks on Tuesday where they're throwing in the red zone. Uh, it's one on ones, wide receivers, and and uh, defensive backs. Out of the DBs, won almost every rep. Gary Bryant got free a couple of times. Kenny Nixon got free uh, every now and then. And, and Drake London at one point just walked all over his man to 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 step into the end zone. But for the most part, it was the DBs getting the better of it every single time against the tight ends and the receivers. Uh, Jaden Williams at one point picked off uh, Keaton Slovis. Um, I, I don't know if it was one of those situations where this was the quarterbacks not leading the receivers well or if it was the receivers not creating separation. Feels like a mixture of both, but every single pass attempt, especially with the tight ends, uh, looked like it was never going to be put in a spot that could be caught. Um, and a lot of that, and I think the quarterbacks were kind of overthrowing their men, and I think when you're 
when you're there in the red zone, you'd rather overthrow than underthrow. So I get that that's part of it, and you want to put the ball in the spot to to make your receiver go up and get it. But they weren't going up and getting it, and the ball wasn't there for them to be had. Yeah, I agree with your assessment there. I thought that uh, you know the first takeaway you can have there is the DBs got the better of of that that uh, segment. And that's not usually the case. Usually the receivers have the advantage in one-on-ones, uh, especially, you know, because you're just, you know, if guy's going in on a slant, he's just going to get beat usually. Um, and the the receivers and the quarterbacks know exactly where the ball is going to be. It's, it's basically just running the route. But in this particular case, the DBs, I thought, did a good job of sticking with their men and forcing the quarterbacks to have to throw it into more difficult spots, like you said, but also, at the same time, I think uh, just my observation from a lot of those throws, particularly I thought when Keaton Slovis was throwing, it's just guys were getting overthrown a lot. And that might have been partly like trying to find somewhere that you can put the ball and the DB's not giving you a lot of room to, to work with. And part of it is also just it's early in camp. And we talked about the DB group being very thin. The wide receiver group is exceptionally thin right now as well. Um, where they're replacing Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, and you know, not everybody is is available yet with that receiving Brew McCoy core. Brew McCoy practice. hasn't been to practice yet. Um, I think Kyle Ford is probably still a little bit limited in what he's allowed to do because um, I I don't think I've seen him doing the one on ones yet. And uh, and yeah, they have some new. You know, Katie Nixon is is new. Um, the, the, the young, you know, Michael Jackson is new there's, there's going to be some chemistry stuff that's going to have to come together between Keaton Slovis and also the other quarterbacks. So thought there was some chemistry problems there, but also good job on the DBs to make it hard for him. Yeah. I want to talk about MJ for a little bit. Uh, he went viral last week with, uh, some clips that were put out of him making some spectacular catches. Uh, one of the balls he caught over the middle. Uh, he ended up taking it in the house, but was not part of the uh, the clip. How have, have you thought of uh, his participation thus far? If he's someone who can step in right away, that's definitely going to help SC when you look at a receiving core that has to replace Amon Ra and Vons, uh and doesn't have the full arsenal of everybody yet. Yeah, I thought my, on Saturday, Michael Jackson looked quite good. Uh, he looked the part. It was my first look at him outside of those clips that USC shared. And yeah, he he didn't look like the freshman. He didn't look like he was uh, he was sort of shrinking in the moment. He he came out and made his catches and looked good doing it. Um, on on Tuesday, I thought the I think you you had commented to me after practice that Gary Bryan Jr. was really the guy who stood out, who shone. Um, so you know, I think aside from Drake London, who is just consistently great, I think that USC is finding some guys who are ready to compete for those roles now. Someone like Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson third. you just want to see him continue to progress and get super comfortable in this right. first camp of his. Well, it looks like it's human nature for him. <laughs> yeah, well, you want it to be human nature, and you want him to be able to, to go forward into fall camp and keep on this momentum and then make a push for some playing time because there will be playing time available to him uh, if, if if he grabs it by the, by the horns. And, you know, Brew McCoy coming back will change some of that. Kyle Ford getting healthy will change some of that. Uh, Kyron Ware Hudson showing up will 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 add to the mix. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about another wide receiver who we expect to come in this offseason as well. So, you know, the, the group will get a little bit more complex as we go forward. But at this stage, just like with the DVs, if you have the opportunity, you have to go out and take it. And I think what I like right now 
is what we're seeing is those second those second tier guys that want to see playing time this year that maybe want to contend for a starting job. They are looking like, yeah, Keaton Slovis can depend on those guys if he needs to throw to them. And that's, you know, Michael Jackson, Gary Bryant Jr. Um, and and we'll continue to see what Katie Nixon brings to the table and and look forward to seeing what those other guys do. But all you want to see is guys step up. And I think generally they have. Yeah. If he's continuing to be a smooth criminal, then it's going to be uh, <laughs> a great uh, spot for SC in that receiving core. Uh, I do want to talk about Gary Bryant Jr. I thought he was the most impressive uh, receiver on the day on Tuesday. Uh, I I wrote on my notes and circled it. Um, the two two players I was the most impressed with, he was the guy on offense I was the most impressed with. Uh, I thought he consistently got open. Uh, Kenny Nixon also did too. I felt like part of it was, was scheme-oriented. I thought it was interesting what the defense was doing. I don't know if, if uh, Tarolando was really working on um, his play calling in terms of what they were trying to do schematically, but it seemed like they were bringing an abundance of pressure and putting a lot of focus on Drake London, which was opening up Katie Nixon, giving Katie Nixon plenty of opportunities. And sometimes that would land Katie Nixon in the end zone, like when he scored about a 45, 48, 49 yard touchdown, depending on who you ask. <laughs> uh, but then you, you'd have moments where Katie Nixon was wide open and he'd drop a pass. So you want more consistency out of him. I just keep going back to Katie Nixon. You can trust. You can see what you've seen. What he's done in games, you know what to expect from him. Uh, maybe not. You don't know what to expect from him within this offense, but you know he's someone who is a proven player. You know that Drake London is a proven player. To me, spring is all about seeing the guys who aren't proven yet. And for Gary Bryant Jr. to have a good showing on Tuesday, I thought that that was really, really, really. Good. Uh, that's what you want to see. You want to see Gary Bryant Jr. go out there and prove that he can, you know, be the next Amon Ra, right? That he can be the next whoever it is that you want him to be. You want you want to see Kyle Ford put everything together and go out and prove that, you know, his ACL tears are, are in the past and he can be the player you thought you were getting when you got him out of high school. So you want to see those guys um, perform well. And it was good to see, uh, number one, um, have a good day. What I thought was really interesting about Gary Bryant Jr. is they, they had him working outside a lot. And we've also seen Katie Nixon working outside a lot. So I think that uh, USC is... Drake London, too. Drake London, too. Yeah. So I think USC is really embracing the idea of versatility among those uh, the, the wide receivers that they have out there and the willingness to move them around the formation and to, to not be very rigid on who's an outside receiver and who's an inside receiver. Totally. And uh, throwing those guys' balls are the quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis, uh, Jackson Darts, Miller Moss, Mo Hassan, Brad Aoki, the, the walk-on out of Punahou. Uh I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I wanted to see what Keaton Slovis could do in terms of, uh, of his arm. Uh, were his spirals going to be as crisp as they were uh, in 2019, was his velocity going to be there? And I thought he was consistently throwing a good ball on Tuesday. I thought he he looked pretty well there. Uh, he was able to throw the deep ball. He threw a really perfect uh, deep pass to Gary Bryant down the right sideline, the one-on-ones uh, into the end zone, about a 50-yard bomb that was just perfect. Put it in the right spot. Bryant got just enough separation uh, and, and caught it, and it was a great play uh, in that drill. But even in the in the eleven on elevens, I thought I thought Slovis looked good. Uh, at times he was uh, he was forcing it to Drake London a little bit, 
Uh, his lone interception came in that one-on-one drill, which I guess you could say was was on the receiver for not getting open anyways. Um, as the incumbent, I, I think he showed everything you want to see. Uh, for me, again, spring is about the guys behind him, Darts, Moss, Hassan. When you look at those three, um, I think Hassan looks to me like Matt Fink with a better arm. Yeah. And Jackson Dart and Miller Moss are the two that I think it's going to be really fun to watch as the spring goes on. Yeah, I think status quo, the lineup is definitely Slovis, Hassan, and then the the two freshmen. But by the end of the offseason, I fully expect one of those two freshmen to come up and be the second the second guy. And after a couple practices watching, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make an early prediction that it'll be Jackson Dart. Uh, but obviously it's very, very early. Uh, I just think that Jackson Dart so far looks like he brings something a bit more dynamic to the table. Um, I'm going to yeah. make the comparison and I want people to take this for what it is because we've seen two practices with these guys and they have a long way to go. They're, these are their first, this is their first week of practice as uh, as college players. Um, but, you know, I think that Miller Moss has a little bit of like Cody Kessler to him. In that he's um, he doesn't have a spectacular arm, but he catches he throws a catchable ball, and I think that he is generally safer with what he chooses with his decision making. So um, you know he'll in the seven on seven we saw him you know dump it off to to running backs instead of forcing the ball in uh, where he might not be able to make that throw, uh, and that's why I compare him to Cody Kessler in that sense in in that more conservative. Uh, but can get the job done. Where Jackson Dart, to me, early, looks like he has a little touch of that Sam Darnold to him, where he's got the nice arm, and he's got the sort of the swagger to just go in and just zip it where he needs to zip it, and that might get him into trouble occasionally, uh, but he's got that vibe to him. And again, I'm not trying to, like, say one is or or will be any either of those two guys it's just yeah. that's kind of the vibe that i'm getting from those uh, i don't know if you agree yeah i i think so but even though the the comparison doesn't completely work stylistically in a lot of ways um but i think in terms of the way that they operate i think is right there i think that that's fair thus far uh for me um i like watching dart i like watching jackson dart uh, I'm not completely on the hype train or the dart bart, as I would call it. I'm not going to make the argument that either one of these guys should be starting over Caden Slovis or anything. I think that's ridiculously foolish, especially at, at this time. But I, I think when you when you look at these two guys, what I like about Jackson Dart is how effortless he makes everything look. Everything just looked casual. Even when he was making aggressive throws, he was very casual about it in terms of his... Like, his grace, right? Like, everything comes smoothly to him. Um, whereas with, with Miller Moss, it looks like it takes a little more effort. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. Uh, if anything, um, you, you can make the case to the contrary that, uh, about whether or not that that's good or bad. But I just like how um, Dart looks like a football player. I, I know that, that sounds <laughs> Michael really, Index. Like, I know, like it's it sounds so superficial, but like Dart just screams gamer to him, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Well, and I'm and on Saturday's practice, one of my takeaways was that he was just very vocal. He was very active in sort of the offensive revving up process, 
And I think that uh, that's something that you got to sort of pay attention to when you're looking at quarterbacks because leadership skills and how you vibe with your teammates and all that kind of stuff, it does it does matter. Um, I also think that what they do on the field as passers and in the in the in the film room as as you know minds and all that kind of stuff will play a much bigger role in who's ultimately going right. to take over as quarterback but like in sort of the early i mean there's a reason why i'm gonna i'm i'm making early prediction on uh on dart being the number two guy just because he does bring that kind of energy to the table he does bring that kind of feeling that that gamer sort of thing that you can't necessarily like bottle up which i think is going to be interesting because what happens in terms of practice is that going to be one of those things that you can't necessarily get out of practice uh one of the 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 notions about darnold versus max brown in 2016 was that darnold couldn't really show in practice maybe all of those things about the plays breaking down and avoiding sacks and all those things. You can't really do that in practice a lot of times. The the play gets blown dead uh, if there's a defender right up on you. So maybe it takes a game for, for Jackson Dart to show that and, and to separate from, from Miller Moss. Maybe Miller Moss ends up being a, a player who can uh, show his, his prowess more so in, in practice because of that. I don't know. Uh, from where they are in terms of arm strength and where they are in terms of of the the eleven on eleven, I I just I I like Dart from what I saw, but again, it's extremely early. Yes, and any sort of conclusion at this point is ridiculous. Do not do not for one reason think that uh, any of this uh, is in stone. Um, it, it takes a while for anyone to. Uh, to really grab the the college game, uh, even Keaton Slovis, I thought Keaton Slovis, you know, from from 2019 early on until where he was in fall, took big steps. Well, and and this is the thing I'll say for both both Dart and Moss is that uh, when Keaton turned up in that spring of of 2019, he didn't like shoot ahead of the competition. When we came out of spring, like the biggest thing I think that I was saying was. You don't even notice that Slovis is the freshman. Like he is keeping up with the other guys in terms of the way that he was throwing the ball and the way right. that he was navigating the offense. And I think that uh, both of the of the freshmen so far they're obviously freshmen. They obviously have their growing pains. But both they of them, the yeah, both of them need to grow up a little bit physically. Uh, but yeah, they don't look out of place in terms of the the quarterback. What you're what you're looking at. From the from the quarterback in terms of quality of passing right. and, and all that kind of stuff, so uh, that's all you need from them at this point. You need them to not look out of place, because that means that they are that much closer to being ready to to come in if you need them. Hundred uh, percent. Let's talk about the guys in front of them blocking for them on the offensive line. It's Cortland Ford that is starting over at left tackle, starting for now uh, in the first team offensive line. Cortland Ford at left tackle, along with all of the veterans to his right. Uh, Andrew Voorhees at left guard, Brett Nealon at center, Liam Jimmins at right guard, and Jalen McKenzie at right tackle. Uh, the second team got a little bit interesting on Tuesday as uh, Justin Dietrich was not at center. He was over to left guard, which I kind of like that move. I, I, I feel like we talked about it last year. If he's going to be, you know... If you pigeonhole him at center, he's not going to have as many opportunities because Brett Nealon seems to have a vice grip on that center job. 
So allow him a, a chance to make some some headway at guard, and maybe he can he can prove that he's more worthy than Voorhees or Jimmins. I don't know. Give him that opportunity. Uh, absolutely. So the second team offensive line on Tuesday from left to right was Collier, Dietrich, Milik, Douglas, and Monheim. Um, interesting enough that they went with uh, with Milik there uh, at center on the second team, not Dietrich and not Gino Quinones. Yeah, and, and Milik was a guy that came in as a freshman and they immediately sort of thought, hey, let's throw him in as a, as a center. Let's train him up as a center. So he's obviously taken some strides there, which is, is nice to see because if they didn't have confidence in him as a center, they wouldn't allow Dietrich to, to work at guard, I think. Um, and he, he looked fine. Uh, I, I don't think he he stood out in a negative in a negative way. But that line, you know... I wondered if this season we'd come in and see some shakeups on the offensive line and changes as as Clay McGuire came in and sort of found his feet with this line. Part of me is just slightly surprised, but also part of me thinks, wow, okay, we're four practices into spring camp and I already know exactly what this offensive line is. In terms of like Cortland Ford, I think I would be surprised at this point if he gave that spot up. He looks fine. He looks like a natural. Um, is the line always giving a ton of protection to the quarterbacks? Well, on Tuesday, Todd Orlando no. was bringing the heat, and yeah. the quarterbacks were getting pressure. So yeah, for for sure. Like like I said, I don't know if that was that Todd Orlando just dialing up the 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 pressure to test things out and play around, or was it them just walking through the line every time? I think it could have been a mixture of both. I mean, they were bringing extra men every um, yeah. nearly every single play. But they were also walking through that offensive line, the, the first teamers, consistently. Slovis was under duress. Uh, he got sacked at one point, kind of a, like a coverage sack. Uh, nearly uh, a bunch of dudes uh, got around him. So it, it's one of those situations where I don't know that this offensive line is taking the step forward. But again, it's super early. Um, nothing <laughs> is in stone at this point. Uh, in terms of the changes, when you say that Cortland Ford is the guy at left tackle and you'd be surprised if someone like Casey Collier came uh, and, and took it away, is that a testament to, to how Cortland Ford just looks the part, or is it a testament to Casey Collier strongly being the second guy for you? I think it's mostly that Ford looks the part, and I think he'll have to not look the part in order for someone else to get that shot. Um, I think that that Ford was probably going to be the best case scenario for USC in that in that spot just given his his skill set, his size, um his potential in terms of the guys that USC brought in, those underrated sort of three-star guys that USC was looking to develop, Cortland Ford definitely had the highest ceiling coming in. Uh if not for uh you know, high school injury, he might have gotten a significantly more more uh, a greater amount of attention as a as a recruit. So, um yeah, I just think it looks like that's the starting five and that again preface everything it's very early a lot can change we've been wrong before but that looks like the starting five and they have to come a long way but it is early talking about defense and the first team defensive line that they've been going up against tuesday it was brandon peely tuli tui pelotu uh and stanley taufo'o um and then you could swap out taufo'o for jamar sakona who got time over the weekend um, and really looked good, I thought, uh, with, with the second teamers. And, you know, again, they were making a lot of personnel changes for the second team on Tuesday. 
Sakona looks really, really good to me. Yeah, I uh, Sakona. Um, he wears number seventy-seven, which is sort of not a number that I'm expecting to see on the defensive line for yeah, some reason. To, to Jeff Carter, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I just associate seventy-seven with offensive line. Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, not so much. Um, but uh, but yeah, Sakona looked looked really good, and in fact, that whole. USC, the young guys that they brought in over the last couple of years, they all just look big. Am I am I wrong on that? Like I just felt like no, you could almost it's... interchange that the the guys on that line because they were just all big bodies. And I don't know that I that like in 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 the past couple of years it hasn't felt like it's just like a line of big bodies like right. that. Um. So yeah, it was it was nice to see those guys. I think. Uh, Tuli Tuipolotu looks like a star in the making. He just, he's all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that he is a guy that I'm really looking looking forward to seeing in 2021. Um, the, the question I have is who will be part of this rotation? Because Nick Figueroa is currently injured, and so he didn't uh, suit up to play on, uh, didn't suit up to practice on Tuesday. So I don't know where he fits in. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that Caleb Tremblay and Jacob Lichtenstein aren't seeing more regular first team reps, but that's also a credit to guys like Sakona and like uh Tau Tau that they are taking on those uh those those uh reps. Speaking of bodies, like Tau came in as a as an inside linebacker prospect, and over the last two years they have built him up into a defensive lineman body, and like credit to him. And credit to the 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 strength uh, staff for getting him to where he is. That he totally fits in on that line physically as well. So, um, I of all of the coaches that USC has on staff, Vic Soto is the one that I have the most confidence in, and he's not letting me down so far in what he's I've seen your, from that your defensive new line. Dylan McCullough. He's my Dylan McCullough. I just think I just think he knows what he's doing. I really do, and I have not seen anything from the defensive lineman to suggest that. Uh, they aren't going to be in, uh, in in a good position to make some waves this year. It's exciting to see some yeah. new faces come through and, and look the part. Yeah, and speaking of new faces, uh, I had two big takeaways in my notes on defense. Uh, Sakona being disruptive, one of them, and the other one was all about Julian Simon, uh, linebacker out of Washington uh, here in this class, uh, freshman wearing the number 24, He's a big-bodied uh, uh, linebacker. He looks like he could be right there on that defensive line with everybody else. But he were in the 24, which is so out of place. And he was super disruptive on, on Tuesday. He got a sack of, of Jackson Dart. And I kept noticing him. I kept clocking him. And I think that when you're when you're a youngster on defense, that's what you want. That's what you want the observation to be, is just to keep noticing that you're there. That's exactly um, the kind of thing that you want to see out of uh, out of Julian Simon. Well, he's going to get some opportunities too because linebacker is also a very thin position for USC right now. Uh, Solomon Tuliapupu is still out with an injury. Jordan Isefa is still out with an injury. Taylor Katoa is still out with an injury. So right now they basically oh Raylan Goforth has been out as well. He was at practice on Tuesday, but yeah. can't suit up yet. Uh, so. They've had Kanai Mauga and Raymond Scott running with the ones, but the twos have been a, a mix of, you know, sort of random uh, guys like Julian Simon getting in there. Uh, we've seen some walk-ons get in there. 
Um, Kalana uh, Makaula is now an, a linebacker as well. So like we're seeing him sort of shift in and out of there. The thing I don't like is that like 24, I my brain doesn't recognize it as a linebacker. So I think every time I saw Julian Simon, I assume my brain assumed that's a safety or something like that. And I, I so I didn't notice be him a in massive safety. I know. Well, I didn't notice him in the same way that you did. I think because my mind sees twenty four, and it's like if I'm not looking for linebackers, then I'm looking at somebody else. You know what he looked like to me? He vaguely looked like Hendrick Ellis. Not literally. Jesus. No, not literally. <laughs> We're talking about a two hundred and twenty no, pound no, linebacker, yes. Michael. <laughs> no, I know that. No, but I'm talking about in terms of how someone fills out a number. Yeah. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, Cedric Ellis had had the. Uh, what was it the the forty nine? Yeah, which was a weird number for for him, but he like filled it out because usually forty nine is like a kicker or something, right? Yeah. Um, and you look at twenty four, and the way that that Julian Simon fills out that twenty four, it's almost as if he, he's uh, he's Cedric Ellis, and definitely he's not Cedric Ellis. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's gonna wrap up our, our observations of uh, of spring camp thus far. Uh, still plenty of things to come. From there, USC practicing at Howard Jones Field. Uh, the spring game is on uh, April 17th, so it's next Saturday. We'll see what comes out of that as well. Uh, but we got a lot of news to get to, news topics and a mailback question, so let's get to those. Yeah, you alluded to it earlier, USC having a new wide receiver come in. It's going to be Memphis wide receiver Taj Washington, who is committed to the Trojans, a transfer out of Memphis. 5'11", 175 pounds. He was a three-star, ranked as the 1,854th player in the class of 2019. But don't gasp too much because he was a breakout star for the Memphis Tigers in 2020. Second on the team, 43 catches, 743 yards, six touchdowns. He was an FWAA freshman All-American. This is exactly the kind of guy that you would want to add to your uh, your roster, someone with plenty of upside, someone who is maybe under-recruited coming out of high school. Um, And now USC has uh, Washington. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, okay, so... One of the anxieties about the transfer portal, right, is the idea of just like sort of creating like random free agency. Um, This transfer is kind of what I think people worry about for like G5 schools, because you have a guy who came out of Texas, very flying under the radar prospect, breaks out with someone like Memphis and then is able to basically upgrade into the power five to go to USC and like. That's great for USC. It's not so great for Memphis. <laughs> but uh, but no, again, he's he's like a, a Katie Nixon type, not just in terms of 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 being small, sort of smaller receiver, but in terms of, of just uh, having proven production, you know, and that's something that USC is going to be very, uh, I think, pleased to have coming in. I we assume he'll be uh, a, a immediately eligible uh, based on, you know, new eligibility rules. And he'll be able to come in and, and potentially be an immediate contributor uh, and and provide, at worst, depth for USC. And maybe at best, he can come in and, and fight for a starting job. We'll see what, 
what he's got. But you look at his highlights from Memphis, the kid can catch. He he has great body control. He finds the ball. He high points it. Uh, there's a, there's one particular highlight where it's just a spectacular catch that he made. And uh, and that's that's the kind of talent that that you can sort of find as diamonds in the rough. And uh, USC didn't even have to pull this guy out of high school. They're able to pick him up as a as a transfer after he's already proven himself. So I'm I'm excited to see what what he'll he'll be able to do. And this is something that I talk about regularly that people I think get lulled into a false sense of security because USC always has talent in that receiving core, but USC's receiving core is still worryingly thin to me, especially given the injury history for some of the players in that in that receiving core. So every guy that USC brings in and adds to the mix is a very, very, very good thing. Loved Katie Nixon for his proven ability and his leadership. Love getting Taj Washington as a young, bright, proven uh, star who can come in and, and compete to prove that he can also play at the Pac-12 level. Just, it's an awesome addition. Yeah, for sure. This is like when the Bundesliga, uh, as a as a young starlet in Bayern Munich, just grabs him up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> USC doing in Memphis what Bayern does to Dortmund and, and everything else, everyone else in that German league. Yeah, hey, they, they got uh, Clay Holton from Memphis too, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this one pans out as well. Uh, speaking of players... Uh, going and becoming a cat instead of leaving a cat in the, this, this this transition. Not quite working there, No, buddy. it's not. Um, but blue and black cats. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Sam Darnold, uh, he is uh, fly- flying down. <laughs> you are trying so hard. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to give up. Uh, he's going from the Big Apple to the Queen City. Uh, Sam Darnold from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, traded for a 2021 sixth rounder, a 2022 second and fourth rounder. Um, not a huge price to pay for the Panthers. The Panthers get him, uh, and now he's at the disposal of Joe Brady, uh, Matt Rule. He's going to have uh, help in the t- in the form of Christian McCaffrey. I love this for Sam Darnold. I I, th- I think. Carolina has so much upside going forward. This is a huge, huge opportunity for him, assuming that that uh, Teddy Bridgewater isn't uh, uh, isn't a part of things going forward to to slow him down. Yeah, this is this is a win win situation. I think uh, the Jets clearly they've already decided they're going to use their pick in the draft to get uh, the the guy out of BYU whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, who's basically like Sam Darnold light. Um, are you saying that you forgot Zach Wilson and all of those scrambles he had on SC and Provo? Okay, uh, no, I remember the Has player. Has he not been seared into your brain? I remember the player, but again, he felt like Sam Darnold light to me. So it's kind of funny that the Jets are going to go all in on the next Sam Darnold. Uh, so good good luck to them. But ultimately, Sam is going to benefit from this because he gets out of New York. He gets a fresh a fresh start with a, a, an offense that I think has some brain power that I think is 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 going to at least give Sam the opportunity. Now, I don't know that this is definitely going to revive Sam's career, but like to trade in Adam Gase for Joe Brady, like <laughs> you got to be feeling pretty good. And Sam can go there and compete with Teddy Bridgewater. He'll either win the job or he won't. And he'll be able to prove himself without being hamstrung by 
a bad offensive coordinator, a lack of offensive weapons, a terrible offensive line. You know, like the Panthers aren't a great team right now, but they are a team that has some nice pieces on offense to work with. A couple thousand yard receivers. They have Christian McCaffrey, Joe Brady, Matt Rule is the core. Like, it just feels like a better spot for a quarterback to be in than New York right now. Right. So I'm all for it. You get awesome. to not be in those ugly Jets jerseys? Well, um, Panthers... Uh, not well, my favorite shade of, of, of blue, but you, you, okay. can, can I just go on my soapbox about the Panthers jerseys? Oh, dear. The Panthers have one of the best logos in sports. Okay, yes. That Panther is ferocious. Yes. It's a great logo. Their jerseys, their, their color scheme. I like their color. I like that vibrant blue with the black. It looks great. The jerseys, kind of bad. Like, real bad. Like... You, I know you're an expansion team from 1955, but like you don't have to the, wear those 1955 jerseys in perpetuity. Liven it I, up, man. I do like the black ones with the silver pants, but they do yeah, seem a little generic. They're, the, they're way too classic for a franchise that doesn't need to be uh, so classic. So hopefully Sam and uh, Rule and Brady and all them will be the new generation to give them new uniforms, but... Uh, speaking of a new generation, talk about basketball. USC going to the Elite Eight. Uh, we talked about it, you know, on the last podcast. How far could they go? And I said, I said they're either going to get, you know, stumble in the first round, or they're going to go to the Elite Eight. There's no in between. They went to the Elite Eight, uh, did so in impression fashion, steamrolling Drake, Kansas, Oregon. Yeah, all by double digits. Uh, the last two by by twenty something points. Uh, the biggest win ever over Kansas uh, in the history of the postseason. It was a hell of a run for USC until they got their pants beaten off by Gonzaga. Um, a game that I think you know is marred by USC's awful first ten minutes. And I think if you change those change out those first ten minutes, it would have been more competitive. Gonzaga still wins that game. There, but at least they wouldn't have been embarrassed like they were because of those ten minutes. But I don't think those those ten awful minutes should mar USC's run. This was we we've seen plenty of USC basketball team not achieve what this one did uh in the slightest. Um and they were able to really at one point being talked up as the only team maybe to potentially beat Gonzaga. Um, that obviously did not happen, and, th- and they, they didn't put up the showing that UCLA put up against Gonzaga, uh, and that's something that SC is going to have to uh, improve on and, and, and get better from uh, as a program. But for what this team accomplished, it was a hell of a run. First time in 20 years they've been to the Elite Eight, and now is the time to normalize these kind of runs and make this more of a consistent thing. Uh, I'm not saying you got to go to the Elite Eight every year, but going to the Sweet 16 with regularity, given USC's talent, shouldn't be uh, a major, major hurdle for, for this program. Yeah, and that's that's all I'm asking. I don't want this to be a one-hit wonder kind of team. I don't want this to be, oh, you happen to have Evan Mobley, and now the Mobley brothers are, uh, you know, you got... You got their their the Mobley family bought into the program, and now that they're and the Mobley family, the the two sons are likely to leave. I don't know. Isaiah Mobley could still come back if he, if he wants to. He's going to explore the draft. But uh, once they leave, now you're sort of back down into maybe you're a bubble team every year. Like that's the last thing I want. But 
this is a really, really good sign that USC can make that run. Can that Andy Enfield can have a team that goes on a run like Florida Gulf Coast did because we hadn't really seen him do that with USC yet. And given the right team, given the right composition, that they can go through and, and absolutely blitz. And to 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 run into the number one overall seed and get swatted down again. I wanted USC to have a, a better showing against Gonzaga, but you know what? It's Gonzaga, and Gonzaga blew blew everyone else out except until they got to Baylor, and Baylor was amazing in that game. But like that was a very formidable Gonzaga team, so I'm not even mad about that. I think to me the the biggest takeaway uh, and the reason why I think that this bodes well for USC's future, because I know that a lot of people look at this and say, yeah, but the Mobley brothers are going to go and. Tajini is gone, and all these guys are, are gone, and you know now you got to rebuild, and how will SC ever do this, and blah, blah, blah. They're never going to have a generational talent like Evan Mobley again, blah, 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 blah. I look at it two ways. One, as good as Evan Mobley was, it's not like he was scoring 30 points a night, and that was the only reason USC was winning games. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons they won games so decisively was their defense. And to me, defense is a sign of coaching. Um, and say what you want about Andy Enfield over the years, about whether or not he's underachieved with, with the talent that ST's had uh, and, and whatnot. And we, and we know that he was an NBA coach who was a free throw specialist and coached people on the side as a shooting coach. And yet that's the thing that SC struggles at. Uh, the irony, right? But that's a trope in sports. You look back at South Carolina under, under Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, this high-flying, uh, you know, uh, coach at Florida, he goes to, to South Carolina and they become known as the defensive team, right? Because sometimes it just works out that way. And you look at what SC was able to do, they were borderline historic on defense with what they were able to, to do through those first three games in the tournament. Uh, they held Gonzaga to what their their uh, their worst shooting performance of the year up to that point, like yeah. which despite which getting blown out, like yeah. I know that that's a that's a weird thing to 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 brag about for for SC, but like it's it's a sign to me that the, that there is a future here for the program to keep building on this going forward, despite not having an Evan Mobley. Well, and that's again, it all comes down to build the program up. You know, I think. One of the reasons that UCLA was able to go toe-to-toe with Gonzaga the way that they did is because they still, UCLA still has that brand, that aura around them, right? And so, like, and they believe that brand, that aura. It's the same thing that USC football talks about all the time of that brand and aura of USC. And it doesn't always activate when you want it to, but it's there. And USC basketball needs to sort of work their way out of being the, 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 the little brother. They they need to work their way into believing that they are a top or a program with top kind of potential. Look at Baylor. Like Baylor had no business being this good. Um, except that they got the right coach and they gave him time to build and they did everything up to, to where they are now. And, you know, I haven't been convinced by Andy Enfield by any stretch of the imagine during this this run that he's had, but like this is the the proof that I needed from him that yes, USC can at least invest a couple more years and see where they go from here. They got to continue to recruit at a high level and then they got to have that that recruiting pay off. Like you said, it doesn't have to be an elite eight run every year, but you want to be able to say we are a contender to get to the sweet 16 when we get into the tournament. 
and don't waste your opportunities. Maximize your opportunities. That's all I want from the basketball team. 100%. Uh, let's go to the mailbag. We got a question, an email from John and Oak. You've got mail. John writes, Hi, Alicia and Michael. Have you seen this breakdown video on Graham Harold done by the Coordinator Project? I wonder your thoughts on it and the analysis of Harold's approach on offense and game planning. Uh, he shares the link. Uh, Alicia, you talked to me about this yesterday. You told me I had to watch it, and, and I did, and it was super fascinating to see the offense broken down at a very simple level. Um, we're going to put the link in the show notes, so go uh, watch the video for yourself. It talks about USC's run game, what they do with the with the H-back, and how the passing game kind of funnels through Drake London um, as a both a decoy and a, and a, a mismatch in, in the offense, which we knew, but it was nice to see how it broke down into how that actually plays out. Um, Alicia, what's your takeaway of what the coordinator project put together? Yeah, I'd really encourage everybody to go watch to go watch that video because uh, I I think it's one of the better breakdowns I've seen of the current actual USC offense as run by Graham Harrell. Um, and it's not just all focused on they're an air raid, they pass, pass, pass. It all starts with what do they do in the run game? And I think uh, he does a very good job of breaking down. This is what USC is trying to accomplish in the run game. This is what the idea behind USC's run game is. And this is why it, it goes wrong. This is where USC is missing the mark on the concepts that they're putting forward. And I think I always appreciate when a breakdown looks at this is what's trying to be hap- to happen. And it doesn't always work, but this is what the the intention is. And I think it, it shows a lot that um, Graham Harrell is still a very young play caller, uh, a young sort of offensive coordinator in the way that he schemes his his uh, his plays and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that um, there is a situation where he needs to continue to learn from past mistakes, particularly in the run game, because... Oregon and some other teams have figured out how to exploit this and really blow up what USC is trying to do. And schematically, we talk all the time, USC doesn't put the players in position to succeed. Some of the concepts that they talk about in that video are exactly what I talk about, you know, like a play where they are trying to run counter and trying to pull pull guards and pull the halfback and, and do all these things, but because they don't account for the linebacker that's up on the line of scrimmage, the running got running back gets dropped in the backfield. Like that's the kind of thing that you're just you're not setting up your players to succeed. Um and and so it sort of shows you what the ideas are, but also what the deficiencies are in that sense, while also on the flip side showing you like but in certain other areas of the game, in, in, in terms of using Drake London, like they're masterfully getting these things to go. Yeah, and part of that's because of Drake London inside is an absolute mismatch, right? He's unfair. Yeah. Uh, it's like in Madden when I put a crazy receiver at tight yeah, end. Yeah, when you it's, convert. It's unfair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, DK but, Metcalf but that, at tight end is insane on Madden, by the way. I highly recommend it. But no, that's but, one of the, the problem, the concerns I have having watched. Because now they're putting Drake London outside. Yes. So, like, I'm very curious how this is all going to work because I just watched this video about showing how devastating 
it is to have someone like Drake London on the inside. And now USC's talking about we're going to have him outside sometimes and we're going to sort of mix and match and everything like that. So my hope is that what they accomplish there is, like we saw on Tuesday, opening up things for Katie Nixon, opening right. up things for Gary Bryant because Drake London is there, but not that's, just that's inside, it, right? but also on the outside. Yeah. Because it's not just about Drake London as a mismatch against the linebacker, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. You look back at one of the one of the plays in, in the video is is the game-winning catch against ASU, and he just beats a, a linebacker, um, gets behind him, um, and then has the body uh, awareness to beat the safety, uh, jumping up and getting the ball on a jump ball from Keen Slovis. So it's not just about that. It's also about the space that he eats up because when he is accounted for, it's going to open up all the room for anything underneath or anything else, anybody else. Like Amon Ra benefited mm-hmm. from that. Uh, I, I go back to the, the Notre Dame game in 2019, how, how many times in that game they, they went to Vaughn's and, and Amon Ra, and, and I feel like Michael Pittman did not have a big game in that game. That's because they took Pittman away and they went to the other guys. Yeah. And when you have so many so many big playmakers on on uh, in your receiving core, you're able to sort of do that. Drake London kind of solidifies it if that that guy is an interior presence with the body size uh, that he has. Yeah. The key here is that wherever you're putting Drake London, everybody else needs to be ready to feast off of Drake London drawing attention away, and. That means Katie Nixon needs to be ready. Gary Bryan Jr. needs to be ready. Bruce McCoy needs to be ready. Kyle Ford needs to be ready. Uh, Taj Washington needs to be ready. All of those guys are going to determine how successful USC's offense is because we already know what we're getting in terms of Drake London being a monster. But the better those guys are, the more of a monster Drake London can be too because now you can't just focus on Drake London and right. take him out of the game. Now you do have to say, oh, well, we do have to account for all these other guys. So it's, it is important. Yeah, and, and like you said, the the axioms going forward for USC is to fix the mistakes of the the running game that's highlighted in that video, uh, and then continue to find uh, ways for Drake London to be that mismatch and to be the guy uh, who opens up space. Um, the rest of John's email says, also, have you seen this se- this season of Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix season three? It opens with COVID shutting down the circuit for several months. It's an interesting look inside the team. Spine on John and Oakland. Have we seen Drive to Survive? <laughs> have we seen it? We have seen it. And one of my favorite episodes, I was shocked, but my favorite episode, I think, was that first episode. Because it was weird to walk down memory lane. Like, we've all sort of gotten, it's been a year. Like, we've all sort of come to terms with this sort of new world that we live in. And it was just kind of like, fascinating to watch the little trickle of information of like oh you see that you hear they shut down this place like oh well like they should something's going on with this like being able to just sort of like treat i remember what february felt like i remember sort of talking like should we we be worried about this and then early march Mm -hmm. like wait is this like is this starting to be something we actually have to like i remember when like we're sort of like are there is there one case in california like but it turned out there had been, you know, the, the, the whole thing. It was just like crazy the way it all. And then and then that night when the NBA got shut down, like just yep. the way it Tom Hanks. rippled. Yeah. And reverberated through uh, the world, the sports world, including Formula One. It was just a fascinating like moment in time outside of just 
dr- like the driving, the Formula One, all of that kind of stuff was just sort of the, the, the platform on which to experience that idea of like, that was such a weird few months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good watch. Drive Survive Season 3, now out on Netflix. If you, if you don't want to watch Season 3, watch Season 1 and 2 first. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, Formula One returns next week uh, at Imola uh, for the something, something, something made in Italy Grand Prix. So, forward to that. Even though we're not talking about F1 on this podcast. No, we're not going to talk about would not, track no. limits no. and all those kind of things. Even though there's plenty of fascinating things going yeah. on. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always, to Ren of Troy Radio, uh, your home for USC football uh, in podcast form. Uh, we will be back uh, later on. Uh, you can find our bonus episodes over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ren of Troy. Email address, Ren of Troy, fansign.com. Phone number, 213-373-1872. Alicia, do you have a final word? And if you do, hit us with it. The final word is jersey, as in on Wednesday... I think it was on Tuesday, Antoine Griezmann, the forward for Barcelona, shared on his uh, Instagram story the the jersey that Reggie Bush sent him, number five USC jersey, signed uh, by the man himself, like Antoine Griezmann. Like, that's just a it's weird collision so of worlds. Yeah. So random. By the way, when he said jersey, I thought you were going to say, mention Guernsey, too. No. Is that the Guernsey flap thing? No, that's Gurney Flap. Which Gurney is Dan Flap. Gurney. You don't gotcha. know Guernsey? I don't know what Guernsey means. Jersey and Guernsey, they're, they're uh, Channel Islands. Oh. No. They're, they're part of the, the, the... You know better than to expect me to know anything about geography, Michael. You're killing me. You're killing me. All right, we'll, we'll see you next time, Stan. See ya. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.